Well, good morning, Life Fellowship. It's so good to see you here this morning. Turn in your Bibles to Psalm 121. Psalm 121 is where we're going to be. We have two weeks left. Two weeks left in our series, Seasons with God. And the whole idea of Seasons with God that we've been talking about is we've been looking at various psalms, different kinds of psalms that are in the Old Testament, psalms that were written for certain occasions. And so as we've been going week by week, we've got two, two, two weeks left. We've got pilgrimage psalms this week. We've got psalms of lament next week. And then, starting the first week in August, we, are, we begin our series in Daniel, and I hope that you will be here for that. I'm excited about that series that we're going to be starting the first week of August. Um, but today, we're going to be talking about pilgrimage songs. Now, when you think about pilgrimage, it's a word that usually is used in a spiritual context. Uh, if you are a certain religion, usually there is a certain place that you will go to that's holy, that you will celebrate uh, that's a culmination of, of worship for that certain religion. For example, Muslims will go to Mecca. That's one of the, it's one of the major pilgrimages that they say if you, you know, there's five pillars of the, of the Islamic faith, and one of the things is you've got to go to Mecca. And Mecca is almost that term that we use that's used to describe something that, you know, a place that we really want to go. And, uh, but, but it, you know, Muslims go to Mecca. If you are, if you are uh, Orthodox Jew, a lot of times you'll go to the, to the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem as, as a place of pilgrimage to, to put a prayer in the wall in, in uh, Jerusalem. Uh, if you grew up Roman Catholic, you know, you know many people take the pilgrimage to Rome, and uh, especially on an Easter Sunday to hear uh, the Pope give his, his uh, benediction there in, in St. Peter's Square. And, and there's all these different kinds of religious activities people do when it comes to pilgrimages. And uh, that might seem a little weird, or maybe you grew up in a faith tradition like that, but if you grew up in an evangelical Christian uh, environment, that is not necessarily one of those things that we normally think about. But, but the context of these pilgrimage psalms, or these songs of ascent, are in the book of Psalms. They, they range from Psalms 120 to 134. There's 15 of them. And these 15 psalms would be sung as people would make the, the pilgrimage to Jerusalem for the three major annual feasts in Jerusalem. It was for Passover, it was for Pentecost, and the Day of Atonement. The first two were held in the spring, and the Day of Atonement was held in the fall. And so what Jews would do all around Israel, they would go, and when it was that certain time to celebrate, they would pack their bags and they would go to Jerusalem. Sometimes it was 90 miles away, sometimes it was 10 miles away, didn't matter how far it was, but you would fill Jerusalem with tons of people. We see that even in the story of Jesus. The, the, the week of Passover is just filled with all these different kinds of people from all over the world uh, to celebrate the Passover. This was normal to the Jewish faith. And uh, the other time that these psalms were used were, uh, they, 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 because there's 15 of them, there's 15 steps that would go from the bottom floor up to the temple. And so many times the, the priests would recite them as they climbed the 15 stairs into the temple. And so each of these psalms in this series from 120 to 134, they, they, they represent either a theological challenge, like, God, where are you in this situation? They, 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 they reflect a personal desire. God, I, here's something I want from you. Or a spiritual hope. God, this is what we want to see you do. And each of these psalms, starting with 120 to 134, you can see the progression. 
In fact, towards the end, it's Psalm 132 is the crowning, it's the future crowning glory of the son of David. And so you see in Psalm 120, the guy's living in a land where people don't really worship God, and it leads you on this pro- progress. And so the psalm we're reading right now is the psalm that's just about for the people that are singing as they're walking out of their village. It's this psalm, this, we're about to go on a journey, and, and there's all the, the biggest issue that, that I'm worried about, that we're concerned about, is protection. Who's going to take care of me as I go on this, on this, on this journey? Because traveling in those days is much different than traveling in our day. You know, when, we, when you and I make a trip, when you and I plan out, a, 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 you know, we're going to go visit a family or we're going to do something else, go on vacation, um, you know, there's two things that we normally look at. We're going to look at where the food stops are, right? And, and we're going to look at, you know, is in the moment, do I need to stop and use a, the bathroom or restroom anywhere? Those are the basic things that we normally think about when we're on a journey. But in those days, it was very different. The very fact of leaving your village, you had, you had all kinds of dangers. You had weather dangers. You never knew what the weather was going to be. They didn't have the apps on their phone or meteorologists. They didn't know if there was a monsoon coming. They didn't know it was going to be scorching heat that day. There's weather issues. There were animal issues. Even you can go back in stories in the Bible when you had uh, Samson. Remember Samson in the book of Judges is on his way to go marry this, this woman, this Philistine woman. And on his, on his journey, what happens? A lion attacks him. That was normal. Jesus tells a story. It's not just lions and, or animals, but also robbers and, and thieves. Remember the story of Jesus when he was telling the parable of the Good Samaritan. It starts with a guy on a journey to, to Jericho, and he gets attacked. And so this, these were common dangers to leave your village, to even go step foot towards Jerusalem. It was an act of faith. It was an act of worship, and it could have cost you something. The cost of money, the cost of time, the cost of safety— These were, to sing songs was to remind you why you were doing this. Now, you and I don't face those same dangers today. But you know what you and I do have? We still have journeys that we're on. And it might not be from from our village to Jerusalem, but the journeys that you and I are going through are more journeys of our own story, our own faith, our journey of, of not going towards Jerusalem, but our journeys of becoming like Jesus. It's the journey that, that we're not setting our eyes to Jerusalem anymore. We're setting our eyes to Jesus, and we're saying, God, I want to be like you. And to become like Jesus, and the moment we begin a relationship with him, is a journey. And it might not be animals or weather or thieves, but it's, it's, it's the world, the flesh, and the devil that we will face, the challenges of our own life in our own spiritual journey. So the question I have for you this morning is this, where are you in your own spiritual journey? Where are you at? What, 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 where, where, are you at a pit stop? Are you, are, you, um, are you at home? Are you running? Are you almost there? To, I mean, what, where are you on this? If you were to, if you were to uh, articulate where you are in your spiritual journey, what are the words, what, what are the places that you would say, here's where I'm at? One of the most popular Christian books that, that's used to describe the Christian journey is a book called Pilgrim's Progress. I'm not sure if you've ever read that book, but it's a, it's a, it's a guy who writes this story, this journey of this person from the moment he gets saved to going to heaven. Even in the New Testament, the, one of the most common words used to describe our relationship with God is in our faith in Christ is the word walk. That our spiritual journey is like a walk. Most people in those days, they didn't ride animals. They walked from their village to Jerusalem. 
And so we, we find ourselves on journeys, on a spiritual journey to become like Jesus. And so this psalm is not just, okay, you know, is this supposed to help me when I travel in the car? I mean, yeah, you could do that, but I think it's talking about something much bigger and something more than that. I think what it's saying is, listen, are, are you moving forward in faith in your journey, and are you trusting in God for your protection? Because that's the issue that's at stake here. That the, the, when the person was moving forward in faith, he was moving forward in faith because there was something he needed from God. And are we trusting in God for his protection? I know maybe you, you've done this. Maybe you grew up in a, in a home like this. I, do, I don't do this for every car ride, but if we're ever traveling on a trip, you know the first thing I do? I pray, let's, all right, kids, let's pray. We're on a, we're on a trip, and, or Liz and I will be about to go on a, on a couple-hour trip, and we always pray for our trip. That's good. That's wonderful. But it's, I think what this psalm is about is so much, so much more than that. And here's, what, here's the main idea I want you to have. As you move forward in faith, as you move forward in faith, God's protection is enough. As you move forward in faith in your faith journey, God's protection is enough. The question of, of God, are you going to be there? God, are you going to come through for me? God, are you going to protect me? As I move forward in faith, that is a very real question that you and I are facing. If you feel stuck, if you feel like you're going backwards, if you, a lot of times it comes down to the fear, the anxiety, the, the, un, the uncertainty of God. Are you really going to be there to take care of me? And the psalmist, is, is a, it's a psalm of conviction of saying, God, you are the one who's going to be my help. You're the one that's going to keep me. And so let's, let's read this again. Psalm 121, it says, I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at right, your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth forevermore. So to this morning, we're going to be talking about God's protection. If God's protection is enough, there's a couple things we need to understand. We need to understand the story of our protection. We need to understand the source of our protection and then the scope of of our protection. So we understand the story of our protection first. And so whenever you read scripture, one of the things that you want to do to understand what it's saying is you want to look for words that might be repeated. And if you, as I just read Psalm 121, you heard it for the second time, what are some words that stood out to you? What are some words that are repeated over and over again? Did you see? There's two words in particular. It's the word help and it's the word keep. The word help is used two times in verses 1 and 2. The word keep is used five times from verses 3 to verse 8. And so this idea of help and keep is, there's a reason why the psalmist is using those two words. These two words, uh, the Hebrew word for help is the word azer. And it's, uh, it's uh, this idea of, it's used most of the time in scripture when it's used, it's used to describe God, it's used, to, it's used to refer to Yahweh in a salvific fence, sense, like Jesus or God, I, Yahweh, I need you to help me, deliver me. And so this is a word that means to help, to save someone. And then the word keep is the word samar. It's, it's a Hebrew word that's the idea of, of being a guardian, someone who's watching over something. It's the picture of a shepherd watching over their sheep. 
that the shepherds were keeping watch over their flocks by night. This word keep, when it was translated, uh, when they translated the Hebrew version or the Hebrew text of the Old Testament into Greek, the Greeks used a word that was used to describe a, a Roman centurion guard that was a sentry that was guarding or protecting something. So it's this idea of God saving, God helping, God, God delivering, God securing. It's this ultimate protection security words that the psalmist is using. But here's the question. Why did he use these words? Why these words? You see, another great, great uh, way to understand and study the Bible is to see when words are used for the first time in the text. And the first time these two words are used in the text are in, is in Genesis chapter 2, in the Garden of Eden. In the Garden of Eden, these two words are used to describe both man and woman. That's why the psalmist is, I, I believe this, he's saying something with these words. In fact, uh, the word azer is used to refer to woman when God makes woman out of man. He says, I'm, I will provide a help, helper for you. That word helper is azer there in Genesis chapter 2. And then when he asks the man to, to keep the garden, that's the word samar. And here, here's what I think the psalmist is saying, and he's wanting us to remember. You and I were not in Eden anymore. We're not in Eden that we need protection. There was a point in our lives when we were in Eden where everything was good. Everything, we had, there was harmony between us and God and creation and humanity. But when, because of our rebellion, because of our sin, because we said, God, we don't want to do your thing, we want to do our thing, because of that, we removed ourselves from the protection of God. God's oversight, God's help. And because of that, all of a sudden, the, the protection, the help that we had in the garden is now gone. And now every single time to live our lives, we are walking out in a dangerous world. And here's what you and I will tend to do. Because, of, because we've lost Eden, you know what you and I want more than anything? We want Eden again. You and I are looking for Eden. And many times we're trying to create Eden in our, ourselves. But here's the problem. You can't have Eden apart from God can't have it. And what the, what the psalmist is saying is this. It's going to cost you. I understand that, that to leave your home, you're going to need help. I lift my eyes into the hills. Where does my help come from? He knows to, very, to leave his village in that moment, to fix his eyes on Jerusalem. He needs help in that moment. He needs protection. But there's something even more important that he is doing. The very fact that he's leaving his, his community, he's showing that, that there's, it's going to cost him something to leave, but it will cost him something more if he stays. That's what he's saying. God, I need you to keep me. I need you to protect me. And this, this idea of walking out in faith, it's worth it. This, this risk that I'm taking, that I need your protection, I need you to show up, God. The reason I'm doing it, I'm doing it because I believe it's worth the cost to do this. And, and what you and I do remember, there's going to be times in our lives when, when, we are, when we're taking risks in our faith. There's going to be times in our lives when, when God's asking us to step out in obedience to follow him, to obey him on this life's journey. And there's going to be times where you and I, because of fear, because of comfort, are going to say, nope, I'm pretty comfortable right here. 
this little pit stop that I've created for myself, I, I, I like this spot. But it's going to cost you something to stay in that place than the danger it's going to take to step forward in faith. Many years ago, I took my son, uh, Jaden, to uh, Germany on a, on a, on a man trip, and I took all my, I'm taking all my kids on this coming-of-age trips. One of the best books I ever read as a dad was Becoming a Modern-Day Knight by Robert Lewis, and I read that very early on in my, in my parenting uh, journey, so to speak, and, and it was in that book that Robert Lewis talks about taking your children on these coming-of-age trips, and so uh, we, we did it for our, my, my first two boys, and we're going to do it for my daughter here pretty soon. Um, but but I took I took Jaden to Germany and, and I love church history and and uh, I took my my second son Sage to to the UK and we did we did both did like a Reformation tour around the, the those two places and uh, so we flew into Frankfurt this, this is 2014 and we went down to Zurich in Switzerland we studied uh, you know Ulrich Zwingli we studied the Swiss Reformation the Anabaptists. Uh, the Swiss Anabaptists and what they did, what they believed. Then we looked at John Huss and we went up to Prague and did visit some other places in Germany uh, that were significant. But, you know, every day just going to different places. And I wanted to show my, my sons in those places, I wanted to teach them about men of courage and conviction. To tell them, man, this is, this is, who, this is the kind of person I want you to be. And there's this one moment that, that in, in my study, I found this, I found this cave in Switzerland that the Swiss Anabaptists would go to in order to have their worship services. Because in order to, you know, they had the Reformers hated them and the Catholics hated them. And they were just, all they wanted to do was to follow the Bible. And they believed that the Bible taught, like, the moment you accept Jesus, that's when you should be saved. It's not when you're born. You know, they didn't believe in infant baptism. And so they were just kept going back to the Word of God. And because they believed in, in, in what they call credo-baptism, what we even practice here at this church, it costs them their lives. Many of these Swiss Anabaptists were drowned in water as a mockery to their faith to be baptized after salvation with immersion. And so what they had to do is they had to find a safe place to worship. And so we took the trek. We left Zurich. It's about 30 minutes outside Zurich. We drove to this place, and we hiked up this trail. And you walk in, you see this giant cave. It's, it's, it's big enough for about 200 people. And you walk in and you, and you stand at the, at the mouth of the cave and you look out and you just see this giant valley with the hills and the mountains. I mean, it's just gorgeous. It's beautiful. But, but in that moment, it was a very surreal moment in that, mo in that time for my son. I had to think about people would come to this very place 500 years ago. And they came here not, not because, you know, it was convenient, they came here, they would walk for miles, they would walk for hours to go to a place where they could believe, where they could be true to their convictions of the word of God. And it might cost them their lives, it might cost them their livelihood, but it was worth the cost because they knew they were doing something that God wanted them to do. Listen, we, you and I, we live, we live in a world, we live in a culture that is known by faith that is convenient and not faith that is costly. And there's going to be times in our lives, listen, there's going to be times in your life where God is asking you to risk something, to risk your reputation, to risk your finances, to risk your job, to risk something, to risk that relationship, because he's saying, I want you to obey me. I'm asking you to follow me.
Because we don't, again, we're not setting our eyes to the hills. You know where we're setting our eyes to? We're fixing our eyes on Jesus, as it says in Hebrews 12, the author and finisher of our faith. He is the one that we draw our inspiration for. And when Jesus says, come to follow me, we have two options. Because we know it's going to cost us something to follow Jesus, but it will cost us something more if we don't. That's what we have to remember. So there's the story of our protection. The next is we have the source of our protection. The source of our protection. Again, he's lifting his eyes to the hills. Where does his help come from? His help can come from a lot of things. But he says, no, my help comes from Yahweh. He's the maker of heaven and earth. You see, when you travel in those days, there's, a, there's ways that you could guard yourself against the weather. There's ways you could guard yourself against the robbers and against animals. There's two major ways you do that. If you had the money, you would pay for someone to guard you and protect you and carry you there. Right? Sometimes in ancient days, you would see those kind of canopies and carried by servants. And if you had the money and the resources and the finances, you could hire a guard in, a, in protection to get you from point A to point B. The problem is, Less than 1% of the population could even afford that. There's another way of protection is that if you traveled with groups of people. It was always safer if there was a larger group of people. And so you would travel with your clan or your family or, or whatever it was from your village to Jerusalem. But let's just say you didn't have a lot of family. Let's just say there wasn't, it wasn't really a godly village where you lived. You would have to make that trek alone. But here's, the, here's what he's saying. Whether you had the money or you had the family, the number one thing that he knows his help comes from, it comes from God. It comes from Yahweh. See, you and I, when it comes to help in our own lives, for our own journey, we can, we can look to other things for our security. We go to money just like they did. We go for, to our status. We go to our family. We go to our friends. But you know the, the person or the thing that we trust in the most to protect us? It's ourselves. We look to ourselves to protect us. And we protect ourselves with, with all kinds of things. We protect ourselves because with our anger. I'm going to get angry and make sure that people leave me alone. I'm gonna get, we, or we protect ourselves with isolation. We protect ourselves with comfort. We protect ourselves, you know, with, with friends. We, we protect, there's a lot of things we do to protect ourselves instead of taking that step of faith and obedience to Jesus. And so what we've got to do is we've got to understand that when we take that step of faith, to take that risk, yes, it's going to cost us something, but it doesn't, it, the, the cost of what it's going to really cost us, it, it makes perfect sense if we know who God is. He's saying, I, look, I lift my eyes into the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. And you know why I can have faith? Because he's the maker of heaven and earth. He's the one who created it all. He's big enough. He's strong enough. He's the one that can catch me. There's, if, this is, if this trip is, is going to be hard, he's the only one that can really help me when things get so difficult. I don't know where to turn. In these moments of faith, in these moments of obedience... We've got to say, God, I need your help. God, help me. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Some of you are thinking, you know what, Ben? I have done that. I have asked God for help. There's times, Ben, when I asked God for help, there was a situation I was in, and I asked him to help, and you know what? It felt like God didn't show up. So what do you say about that? Well, 
I can't speak to your specific situation, but here's what I know with my life. There's a lot of times I ask God for help that it felt like he didn't come through, but you know why he didn't? Because I was still holding on to control. And when you try to hold on to control for things, saying, God, I want this, but you know, I'm not willing to let control of my life. It's like we want God to be our security guard instead of our shepherd. And God doesn't want to be a security guard. He's not going to just follow you around and do your bidding. What God wants, he wants to, the best way for God to help you and to keep you is when he leads you. And if you're not willing to get, let God lead you, then the greatest potential of his protection will be, will be lost. And so we've got to go to God and say, God, I need you to catch me. We've got to transfer our trust. The most basic way we transfer our trust in God is through our obedience, saying, God, okay, you're asking me to do this, I'm going to do it. And there was a time in my life, I know I've shared this story before, but when God was asking me to walk away from my church, my old church, and it was a church I planted, a church I loved, but God was doing something in my heart, and, I, and it was hard to explain, it was hard to describe, but as a, as a pastor and as a leader of a church, you need to have a couple things. You need to have vision to know this is where we're going, and you need a fire inside of your bones to say, I'm so excited to be here. And I remember waking up, and there was just this slow, like, all I could describe it as is my fire was gone and the vision was gone. And I could have stayed there for years just going Sunday after Sunday, preaching, doing the same thing, but, but it wasn't right to God, it wasn't right to the people, and it wasn't right for me. And I struggled. I struggled so deeply because I kept getting the sense that God was leading me. He's saying, your time is done. And I, and I wrestled with God. Have you ever wrestled with God? And you're like, God, I'm not sure. I, I remember talking to someone in that time, and, and, and you know, one of the greatest questions was ever asked to me. I've asked this question multiple times. And he said, does, do what, does what you need from God, do you need courage or do you need clarity? I remember that. And, and I felt like, once God gave me clarity, then it became an issue of courage. But I remember where I was. I was in a prayer meeting in a February of 2017, and someone prayed, God, many times you don't part the waters until we step foot into them. And at that moment, the Holy Spirit said, Ben, that was for you. It's time for you to go. And, and I wrestled with God. It, God, this doesn't make sense. Most people leave their church because there's another church to go to. I don't have that. How am I going to make a living? How am I going to pay? I've got a family here now, God. I've got three kids at mortgage. What are you doing? And just over and over, I would love to tell you that, you know, God made that clear to me. I got the clarity in February, and I made the decision in March. It took me six months before I was really able to get the courage to say, all right, God, I'm going to resign. I remember that Sunday morning, or the day before I resigned, I remember sitting my family down in the living room, and um, telling my kids what, what we were going to be doing. And in that moment, uh, after I shared with them what was going on and ask a couple questions, and I just, I, I don't know what's beyond this. I just know God's calling us to leave. One of my children said, Dad, it feels like we're about to go on an adventure. See, that's what happens when you trust God. And some of us need to test God in our obedience. Say, God, will you really keep me? Will you really protect me if I follow you in this, in this way of obedience? You're asking me to do something. And, and whatever that task is, whatever that 
thing is, that next step is, you can have the confidence that you can do it. You know why? Because the maker of heaven and earth will be with you. And, and that is what you need to remember. And, and, and so what we've got to do is we've got to keep asking ourselves, hey, how do I keep moving forward? How do, God, what's the next step for me? What's the next step of obedience? How do I keep moving forward and moving forward and moving forward? Because we always, in our journey of faith, we need to keep moving forward. Don't stay stagnant. Keep moving forward in your faith. And keeping, keep moving forward in your faith might mean wait. He might say, hey, I want you to wait right now. God might say, hey, I want you to leave your job right now. God might say, I want you to do this right now. I, I don't know what it is. Only God and only the Holy Spirit and only his word can tell you what that is. But I just know this, that all of us need to keep moving forward in our faith. Uh, and on, on September 18th, I hope that you will make it a priority to be here on that Sunday. Because that Sunday, this is just a side, little side note, this doesn't have much to do with the sermon, but um, on September 18th, we're going to have Vision Sunday here at this church. And I cannot wait to share with you some of the things that the Holy Spirit has been leading and guiding and directing the elders here at the church of what it means to move forward for us at Life Fellowship. Because I'll tell you one thing, I don't want to just keep showing up and doing church. God is calling us to do something bigger and beyond ourselves in this community. And God is doing that for this church, and he's doing this in our lives individually. But God has us all on this journey. And the source of our protection, listen, as you move forward in faith, God's protection is enough because he's the maker of heaven and earth. Do you trust him? So not only do we have the story of our protection, we have the source of our protection. Finally, we have the scope of our protection. Notice in verses 3 through 8, the psalmist then describes the ways in which the protection he needs from Yahweh. Let's look what it says again. Notice the different kinds of protection that he needs. It says, he will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. There's three different dimensions or, or I guess juxtapositions of protection that I see here in this text. And the first juxtaposition is we need God's protection for the big things and the small things. The big things and the small things. God, I need you for shade. God, I need you to protect me from all evil. It's big stuff here. It's really big stuff. Uh, it's big stuff and small stuff. And then the, the next one is I need you now and I need you later. Again, he's on this journey. God, I need your shade. I need you to watch over me. As I'm sleeping every night along this journey, I need you to watch over me. But I also need you for in the future. Look what it says in verse 8. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. God, I need you on this journey. I need you on this journey on the way home. I need you for every journey I go on. God, I need you now and I need you later. The next, the next category is he need, we need God's protection for practical ways and for existential ways. You know, the practical ways are, God, I, you know, let my journey be smooth. Don't let, my foot, you know, don't let my foot be moved. The whole idea is, God, I just want this trip to go really well. It's just practical. 
And then, and then look at verse, verse 7. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. God, I need you for the practical things I need you for, you know, the 10 things, the 10 things I need you for today, but then the big, I mean, I'm talking like existential things, evil, life, salvation. I need you for these things as well. The big, the small. I, I need you for the practical, the, ex, the existential. I need you for the now and later. Now, here's the question I have for you. Some of you do a really good job of asking God for help on one of these things or a couple of these things. But do we look at getting God's help for all of them? You know, some of you might be, do a really good job of saying, God, I need your protection. Something really big, something really big's going on in my life, God, and I need you right now. But for the small things, we don't really go to God. Maybe we're really good at, at trusting in God's protection here and now, but God's protection in the future, I don't know if I could do that. You see, all of us, in the scope of our protection, there's, there's going to be something that does test our faith in God. See, God, can you really provide for me in this way? And a few months ago, I recorded a podcast with Stephen Desari. Stephen is one of our missions interns here at the church, and, and we were doing a, a podcast series on our Life Talks podcast uh, talking about world religions. And uh, I invited Stephen into the, uh, to do a, record an episode with me to, as we talked about Hinduism. And Stephen grew up in India and, and knew, grew up in that context. And so I asked him a lot of questions about Hinduism. And one of the things that I thought was interesting is, you know, Hinduism literally has millions of gods. And, and what it comes down to is no matter what the little issue is you have in your life, you've got to figure out who's the God I need to pray to, what's the ceremony I need to do to get that God to help me with this one problem. And uh, I, I asked him in our conversation, I said, well, what happens when nothing happens? He said, well, then you must have done something wrong or you didn't pray right or it was the wrong God. You've got to figure out the right God. And I just thought it was so fascinating how it, if some, if you, in that religious system, if something doesn't work out, it's your fault, right? But we don't have a, we don't have a faith system like that. I, I love it that, you know how many gods I have to go to? One. That's it. I go to one God. He covers it all. He cares about it all. Isn't that so amazing to think that we have a God who doesn't just, who doesn't just have the power to do it all? He cares about every single thing. God cares. God cares about the shade of this man. We don't think about that. God cares about the small little details of your life. Don't, don't be afraid to invite him into to the scope of the ways in which we need God to show up. Because we serve a God who loves you. And, and he, he cares about every part of your life. Now, now, now there's a line here that, that, that gave me some trouble. Not, not as much as a, uh, you know, not understanding Maybe a little understanding, but when I read it, I was like, I don't know, how do I preach on that? Because it feels like if I was to read this line to you again, most of you, like me, the first time I read this, I was like, I don't know if that's true. Or what does it mean when he says that? And look at the first line of verse 7. Because, again, as we're talking about God's protection, I, I know that the, the, the tendency maybe you're having this morning is, this sermon sounds really good, but Ben, I've got a story. I've got ways in which I feel like God didn't protect me. Now look what it says in verse 7. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. Now i got to be honest with you. There's been times in my life the Lord did not protect me from evil. 
whether it was evil that I committed or whether it was an evil that someone committed against me. But, but I have experienced evil in my life, just like you have. So here's my question. How does the Lord keep us from evil? I think there's actually a couple ways. And, and the couple ways that, that I believe he keeps us from evil is the first way is, I believe in all the evil that I've experienced in life, here's what I know. Without God, it could have been much worse. I can testify to that. That God, even when I experienced evil, he protected me. He kept me from experiencing something far worse than what I did experience. But there's another way in which God keeps us from evil. And and the best way I think we can understand this is when Jesus is talking about his, to his own disciples about this very same thing. And in Luke 21, as, as Jesus is teaching his disciples, preparing them for when he leaves, the, as the final week of his life, he's teaching them and preparing them for a life of persecution. He says this over and over again. You know, in this world, you will have trouble. If the world hated me, the world's going to hate you. And in, and in chapter 21 of Luke, verse, six, verse 16, he says this, there's going to be people, fathers, mothers, brothers, sisters, friends, relatives, they're going to turn you over to the authorities and, and some of you will be killed. Right? How that, how that for an invitation? Come forward, follow Jesus. But then he says something in verse 18. He says, so they're going to hand you over, but they will not be able to harm you. What? How, how does that make sense? That they're gonna tr- people are gonna, be- are gonna turn me over to the earthly authorities and I might even face death, but they can't harm you. There's another thing that Jesus said that makes this statement make even more sense because there's another time when Jesus said, don't fear those who can kill the body, but fear the one who can kill both the body and the soul. You see, I think what he's talking about here, the Lord keeping you from all evil is an evil from in a very salvific sense. It's the evil, it's the ultimate evil of our sin. It's the the salvation that God provides to us through Jesus Christ. By his death, by his paying the penalty for our sins, he was able to deliver us from evil. That no matter what evil we do face, we have a Savior that has overcome evil. We have a Savior that has done more to overcome and to conquer evil. Therefore, he can protect us from the ultimate evil, the ultimate harm that can happen, not just to our bodies, but to our souls. And if there's something I want you to understand today is, listen, there's a very practical sense that which God can protect us, but the ultimate way that God protects us is through the blood and salvation of Jesus Christ. And that is the protection, and that is the help that you and I ultimately need. And you can get that only through faith in him. And if you don't, I'm not sure if you even have that kind of relationship, you can have that kind of relationship where you know that you will be kept from the ultimate evil, from eternal damnation, from the ultimate consequences of your sin. That comes only through Jesus. And it comes when you place your faith and trust in him, when you acknowledge, I'm a sinner, I, I cannot save myself. I need a greater Savior for the problems I have in my own soul. And you look to Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. It's because of his death. It's because of his resurrection. He overcame my sin. 
in my condemnation, that if I place my faith and trust in him, he will give to me salvation. He will give to me the help and the protection that my soul ultimately needs. If you've never done that, you can do that sitting in your seat this morning. Or you talk to someone when you leave here today. But that, to me, is the, when I talk about the scope of our protection, that is the ultimate that you and I need on a regular basis. As you and I move forward in faith, God's protection is enough. What is it that God's asking you to do to step out in faith, to step out in obedience, to step out and say, all right, God, I'm going to trust you. Number of questions, and then we're done. Number one, where are you on your spiritual journey? Where are you? What would you say on, on, on this pilgrimage journey that you have of becoming more like Jesus? We're not going to Jerusalem. We're going to Jesus. Are you just starting? Are you not sure if you're even really even ready to leave home? Are you midway there and you feel stuck? Do you feel like there's robbers and animals attacking you and you need God's help? Where are you on your journey? I think it's so important to understand that God knows exactly where you are and what you need. Number two, who are you trusting in for your protection? Who are you trusting in for your protection? Are you trusting in your wealth? Are you trusting in your family or your friends? Are you trusting in yourself? Or are you saying, God, you're the one. You're the one that has to catch me because if you don't catch me, I'm going to fail. That's the place where God wants us to be. And then lastly, the last question, what kind of protection do you need from God right now? What's the help? What's the keeping that you need? God? What's the scope? Is it, is it something big or is it something small? Is it something practical or is it something exponential or existential? Is it something that's, that's you know, now or is it something later? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I, I want you to, to go to God right now for what you need. God, I, you know, call to God, I need your help with what? Spend some time right now crying out to our God, who's our helper and our keeper, whose protection is enough. Do that right now in these moments. Jesus, as, as you are calling us to follow you, as, as we are on our own spiritual pilgrimage, God, I, I can't help but think about all the ways in which you have loved us, you have cared for us, you have kept us. I think all of us can testify in ways in which you have been that protector, that guardian over our lives. But God, we've got real needs in this room, and we are asking you, to go before us. We're asking you to protect us, to cover us. I love that line, what it says in Psalm 139, that you hem us in behind and before. And God, show up in ways that we need you for right now. Help us to take steps of faith when we, where we need it. And guide and direct our steps through your spirit and through your word. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.